seated. Is there hope in our world uh, this day? Recent studies point out that America, our country, has a crisis of despair and hope. The rates of deaths due to suicide and destructive behaviors uh, in reference to drug abuse and alcohol abuse have increased at an alarming rate over the last 15 to 20 years. And you would think with all the affluence of our country, with all of the safety nets that our government provides economically, that we would actually see a decrease. But hope and despair are on the increase as well as deaths associated with them. And we might think, well, surely these studies were done of the poor in the inner cities, in major cities, on the two coasts of our land. I mean, there's no doubt that in the inner cities that there is despair and a sense of hopelessness. We might even think that, well, surely these statistics, this alarming rate of deaths among a population is the teenage population or the younger generation that, as they look to the future, have hopelessness with regards to employment and even the ability to buy a home. Surely this statistic is teenage, a teenage statistic or the millennial generation, but you'd be wrong. Surprisingly, this study, these studies are done in middle America, in the heartland of America. The, the population is not the poor and not the young, but middle-aged whites, especially women, where this alarming increase of deaths due to suicide and alcohol and drug abuse has just skyrocketed. Does that surprise you? And it is something that we need to hear. One leader of a, of a major study, and a peer-reviewed academic study, says this, America has an epidemic of hopelessness among white Americans. And now there's a new category that is being used. It is called despair deaths. A category for these individuals who have lost hope, who have turned to suicide or some destructive behavior and have died. It sounds like hope is in short supply in our country. And what about Christians and what about the church? We're human. And we're prone to suffer the same types of things that those in our broad culture suffer. And then add to it that as Christians and as believers, we're in a fierce spiritual battle where we are also prone to lose hope in the midst of the attacks that we face daily. Is there hope? Our text today tells us that for the believer, there is not only hope, but there is protection for us. 
that we might not despair and lose hope. And this is our theme for today. Taking up the helmet of salvation means we have hope in a glorious and future destiny. Let us pray together. God, our Father, as we think about this issue of hope and despair and hopelessness, there may be even those here today that are hopeless. And I pray, Father, that for all of us that we might be encouraged by your word as we reflect upon this particular piece of armor, this helmet that protects hope, not just hope based on what might happen tomorrow, but a hope for a destiny that is in heaven. And so, Father, bless us today as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been doing, working systematically through Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, we'll, we'll add half of a verse to our reading uh, today. I'll, be, I'll begin reading in verse 10. We'll read through the first part of verse 17. Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And now for today and take the helmet of salvation. So we begin with this helmet, and the purpose of the helmet is to protect the principal part. And we'll find out just a little bit later exactly what that principal part is. I was reminded of what I was doing November 22nd, 1963. You may think that I, that's very impressive <laughs> to be able to remember what I was doing in 1963, but I remember, and I suspect some of you do as well, with the Kennedy assassination files, some of them being declassified, I, I, I recalled that having just turned six, I remember watching on an old black and white uh, TV the, the news reports about our president being assassinated there as he was riding in that motorcade in downtown Dallas and that, that fatal shot or those fatal shots struck his head and he died. Very sad part of our history as, as a country. The principal part of our president was hit his head. The Roman soldier was equipped with a helmet. It was decorated with plumes and hair, but its primary purpose was not just for the soldier to show off and look pretty. 
but it was to protect the principal part of his body, his head. And so it was made out of of heavy metal. It often had a hinged visor that could be lowered to protect his face. Really, the only thing in, in ancient times that could penetrate this very tough and sturdy helmet was a direct blow from an axe or a hammer, which really sounds graphic, doesn't it? But this helmet was built to protect. And you know as well as I do that if an enemy wants to to quickly strike a fatal blow, he aims for the head. The Roman soldier's helmet, as well as the Roman soldier's armament, is what Paul has been using to point to the spiritual armament that God has given And it's the same with the helmet, that that this Roman soldier's helmet really points to our need for a spiritual helmet. And the scriptures speak of spiritual helmets. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17 uh, depicts God arrayed for battle with his armor on as he goes out to do combat with his enemies and the enemies of his people. And verse 17 reads, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God has provided that that helmet of salvation, that spiritual helmet, that spiritual armament for his people. And he's provided it For this reason, that taking up the helmet of salvation means we have hope for a glorious future destiny. And this helmet that Paul mentions in verse 17 is described as, the same way Isaiah describes it, a helmet of salvation. In other words, the helmet protects the principal part, and the principal part that needs to be protected is our hope. An elementary school teacher asked her students to each, for each one in the class to give their spiritual birthdays. The date, the month, the day, the year that that child asked Jesus into their hearts or whatever way you want to describe that. And, and our child was unable to give the spiritual birthday. And the teacher became very, very concerned that our child was not saved. And so we had a meeting with the, the teacher, and, and we explained to her that, that our child was, was a thoughtful Presbyterian, <laughs> that she, she had an understanding, like we had an understanding of God's saving work in sinners' lives. Understanding is based in covenant theology, that beautiful biblical broad umbrella under which we are able to understand theologically how God works through His uh, Word. And we said our daughter's statement that she had no idea about a spiritual birthday was perfectly in line with our understanding of Scripture. And if you think about it like this, that the really, really the main thing is not that she had some date that she could look to, but that she knew that she was a sinner, 
She knew that she was in need of a Savior. She knew that the Savior was Jesus, that she actually repented of her sin and trusted in the Savior Jesus for forgiveness and trusted Him for the gift of everlasting life. That is, trusted Jesus for this glorious future destiny that is promised in the Scriptures. And when all that began, who knows? The important thing is that reflects the reality of your soul and heart today, that you trust Jesus now. Because who can say when they were saved definitively? And really what we were saying to this teacher is, who was a sweet, gracious lady who just had a different theological view than we we did, We were saying to her, salvation is a process. Salvation is a process. It is, salvation is what God has already done. That in eternity past, God chose those who would be united to Christ Jesus. That he appointed a time when they would be effectually called. That is, converted, where one will respond to the work of the spirit in repentance and faith and come at last into the kingdom of God and then to live a whole life repenting and believing right (laughs) as a believer so we can say that I was saved I was saved in eternity past I was saved at some point in my history though I can't tell you exactly when it was but I know that I was saved. And we can also say that I'm being saved. Because not only has God regenerated my heart, given me the gifts of repentance and faith, justified me, adopted me, but now I'm in the process of sanctification. I'm being saved every day. As I live by faith and as, as God the Holy Spirit puts the death sin in me, enables me to live more and more into righteousness, I'm being saved. But here's really the point of the helmet. It is, yes, I was saved, yes, I'm being saved, but the real point in the helmet is this, I will be saved. That the helmet is pointing to this future reality. In other words, the helmet is pointing to the fulfillment of God's salvific work in the life of his people. And the end of our salvation, that future fulfillment, theologians call glorification and so what really is fun to do is someone to ask you hey when were you saved you could say I was saved I'm being saved and I will be saved and you would be absolutely you'd not only be a thoughtful Presbyterian but you'd be absolutely correct biblically salvation is a process and this distinction the reason I went through this This little study of salvation is because this distinction is absolutely essential to understand this helmet that is pointing to this future reality. That the the, the principal part of our Christian lives that needs to be protected in battle is our hope of a future salvation, our hope of a fulfillment of all that God has begun to do in us. 
And the scriptures lead us to this because another passage that speaks about a helmet in the New Testament, not just the Isaiah passage and not just the Ephesians 6 passage, but turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. The Apostle Paul, I think, relates salvation and hope and shows us that the principal part in terms of what is being discussed here in Ephesians 6 is this, this hope of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 really helps us understand what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 and verse 17a, the helmet of salvation. It is the hope of salvation. Paul is not saying that um, this hope is, are we saved? I mean, think about this. If, if we are hoping today, are we saved? That's like going into battle with no helmet in hopes that you'll stumble upon one and then put it on. No, the reality is this, this future salvation, this hope of a future salvation is rooted in the fact that we were saved and we are being saved. And yet there's a future aspect to God's saving work, this, this hope. And so the principal protection for us today is that we would continue to hope in this future salvation, that we would continue to hope in God completing what He has begun in us. And the end of salvation, the, the, where our hope ultimately rests, is in this glorious future destiny of being a glorified saint in heaven. And look to verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The hope of obtaining salvation through Jesus is the hope that God will fulfill all that He has promised, that our destiny would be eternal life in heaven. And the helmet of salvation is designed to protect us in the battle that we would continue to hope, to hope in this future salvation. And the glorious thing is that the scriptures so clearly point to the fact that God is sovereign in the saving of sinners. He is sovereign over the beginning and the end and the means to accomplish it. And he's sovereign over the end, glorification, meaning that our destiny is fixed. We will be glorified, not in part, but in the whole. The helmet of salvation, then, is not wishful thinking. It is not luck, but it is rooted in the certainty of God's sovereign purposes for his people. And I think we see this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. As the Apostle Paul, in, in just this very brief verse, I think, gets at the very core of what hope is. That is not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope I'm lucky. But it's rooted in a certainty that we are 
destined as heirs of the covenant of grace. And no matter how hard Satan works, we will not be disappointed in this hope. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God love, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope is rooted in the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Hope is rooted in a certainty. It is rooted in the promises of a sovereign God. And we will not be disappointed. We will not be put to shame. Taking up the helmet of salvation means we have hope in a glorious future destiny. But the warrior is protected. This, this hope is protected to the extent that he takes the helmet, as Paul speaks about in verse 17. An epidemic of hopelessness has descended upon our land. And, <coughs> excuse me, and hopelessness is a fatal blow that leads to despair deaths. And I believe the same can be true spiritually. An epidemic of hopelessness within the believer or within the church is like a fatal headshot to the spiritual vitality of the church, to the spiritual vitality of the believer. It's like a fatal headshot that restricts us or prohibits us from doing what God has called us to do, standing firm in the battle. No, hopelessness causes us to melt away, to flee, to despair. And hopelessness is the quickest and principal way that Satan attacks the church, seeking to destroy the believer's faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul, therefore, tells us to take the helmet of salvation, that we would stand firm in hope, that is, in the reality that God will fulfill His promises to glorify His people, that they would dwell with Him in heaven forever. That's our destiny. And taking the helmet, interestingly enough, means not that we just take it once, but really the Greek here refers to keep on taking it. And this is consistent with, with what Paul has done throughout as he describes this armor. That it's continually taking this armor and putting it on. And it's continually taking the helmet and embracing it and wearing it about your head for protection. It really is keep on taking it, keep on believing, keep on seeking Jesus, that you would stand, that we would stand firm. Keep on resting in what you've already been given, this wonderful promise of hope of a glorious future destiny. When we take the helmet of salvation and, and wear it, we have greater assurance. We have greater strength. 
We are fortified to stand in the battle. When we take the helmet and wear it, we're able to fight with our heads held high because the principal part is protected that we would continue, that we would keep on having hope. We have hope. We have hope that God will bring about what He has promised. That He will complete that which He has begun in us. And we see this in the Old Testament as well as the New. Consider this, Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hand. If God fails to complete His saving work in your life, He's not only lied, but He has forsaken the work of His hand. And do you think God is going to forsake the work of His hand? Such assurance we have of this hope, this fulfillment. And then... Very familiar passage, Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we stand boldly. We stand confidently. We, we stand in power. We stand hopefully in the battle, knowing this, that we will never, we will never have a fatal blow brought to bear upon us. We may get dinged, we, we may get wounded, we may get scratched and scraped, but we will never receive a fatal blow, not from Satan himself, because God has promised it. He has saved us and he will bring his saving work to its appointed end. We will be with him in heaven and nothing can alter it. Now, does that give you hope? Does that encourage your heart today? I hope it does. It encourages me. As I stand thinking, should I turn and run? Should I melt? Should I despair? No. Why am I despairing? I despair so quickly. But I despair in vain <laughs> because God has given me exactly what I need that I would not despair, that I would not be hopeless, that this epidemic of despair and hopelessness will never touch me and never touch you. It has to do with this helmet, this, this helmet of salvation, this helmet of hope of a future salvation, this helmet that reminds us that when God promises that, promises something he does it and Carl read earlier Isaiah 55 that that whole chapter is dealing with God's veracity his truthfulness that he does what he says he's going to do and listen to verse 8 so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it is that not encouraging? Now listen, you either believe God's promises or you don't. I mean, that, that's a whole other question. That's a whole other sermon. But God has promised. 
that when he unites someone to Christ in saving faith, that he will bring that saving work to its appointed end. Glory! And as we stand in battle with the helmet affixed to our head, we should not lose hope of this future salvation. I love what Charles Hodge says about this, the great uh, Princeton, old Princeton divine. That which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved, and we might add that he knows his salvation will be perfected in the end. Taking up the helmet of salvation means we continually have hope in a glorious future destiny. We have hope that we will never suffer a fatal blow, that the principal part of hope in the end will never be destroyed in us and that we will be with God in heaven. Well, our hope really comes down to the might, to the toughness, to the indestructibility of the heel of a foot. And the frailty of the world's toughest helmet on a head. So let me explain what I mean by that. This table that is set before us with the elements, the bread and the wine, it, can you see it? In just a few moments you'll feel it and you'll also taste it. You see, you feel, you taste the reality that Jesus Christ suffered for you and for me. That Jesus's, that the heel of Jesus' foot, that, that mighty, indestructible heel was bruised as he did battle with Satan. And as he lived a life perfectly, as he suffered because of it, as he was falsely accused, as he was put to death on a cross, as he died, as he was buried in a tomb. You see it? You feel it? And we'll taste the reality of it that Jesus' heel was bruised. Well, why was his heel bruised? <laughs> Genesis 3.15 I read this often because it's amazing how this scripture is so profound to our lives today. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is in reference to that cosmic battle that has taken place between Jesus and Satan that began at the very beginning of human history and continues until the end. But notice what happens here. That Jesus' heel was bruised. And it was bruised because Jesus' heel was upon the principal part of Satan, his head. And no, 
And even though the text says that Satan's head was bruised, it really points to the fact that Satan's head ultimately will be crushed at the consummation when Jesus returns. And no amount of metal, no amount of construction, Satan cannot get a helmet that is going to ultimately be of any hope to him. Satan has no hope. His head will be crushed by the heel of Jesus. And this table declares that. And I simply want to say that because our hope really comes down to the might of the heel of a foot and the frailty of a helmet on a head that you and me know today the outcome already that the victor is Jesus and Satan will be destroyed and that gives us great hope in this glorious future destiny that we have according to the word of God and in Christ Jesus and as our country is suffering an epidemic of hopelessness that epidemic will not touch us as we stand arrayed for battle with all the armament on and for today, that helmet strapped tightly on our heads. With our heads held high, we're able to hope in the fiercest battle of this glorious future destiny. Let's pray. God, our Father, I pray that you would be pleased to bring us to the place of hope over and over again that we would keep on hoping, keep on taking that helmet. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.